0: You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Sponsored by Dext. Make the businesses you advise more productive, profitable, and powerful, with better data and insights. Welcome to this episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I'm happy to have with me today a true influencer in the accounting world, Jason Stas. Good day, sir. Good to be here, Rob. Jason, for people that haven't come across you, and I can't believe there are not many... Uh, tell us what you do. What's that elevator pitch for Jason stats? You've got your finger in a lot of pies haven't you? Oh
1: I do. yeah no the elevator pitch is I, I create content to help people uh, kind of be their best selves in, in running accounting firms trying to find a, trying to find a more fun sustainable way to do that uh, and that's that looks like content on Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube.
0: What's your background? Oh
1: accounting. Oh man. I uh, came out of undergrad. Got an internship in accounting that paid better than any of the internships my buddies could get. And I haven't figured out how to leave yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was Jason's stats like at 16? You obviously had the, the paper job and you had the, you selling lemonade on the street corner. What were you doing? I was working in Best Buy. So I
1: was like a big, big like electronics retailer. Uh, working in media. I was the guy organizing all the racks and racks of CDs and putting the new ones in there. And boy, that's that stuff's all gone away by now.
0: CDs, that's going back a ways. Yeah. So you had an entrepreneurial streak in you, but you're an accountant as well. That's that's a rare blend. We're always wanting accountants to be more entrepreneurial and think like businesses, but that's not two worlds that easily collide, is it?
1: No. I think most people probably come in as operators that just want to do the work. Um, I wasn't very good at the work, so I had to find another angle to it. Uh, and early in my career, that meant being kind of the the tech facilitator and and running teams and helping the people who are better than me at getting that work done. So from early on, I I had to uh, I had to find a creative way to to contribute because I, at the end of the day, I wasn't a very good
0: tax preparer. Well, that's honest. What do you feel are your, your strengths and themes that you love to talk about, Jason?
1: Uh, a lot of my stuff's around kind of those mental blockers that keep us from being a more intentional version of ourselves and and getting out of the rut of solving everybody else's problems at our own expense i think oftentimes we fall into the trap of working really hard and working harder than all the other people around us and that that effort can trick us into thinking we've done our best when oftentimes the easiest thing to do is to like run into the same wall for the 10th time in a row is that message
0: predominantly for the accounting practice owner Founder, or would that work equally well for those employed people in the bigger firms?
1: Uh, it's probably for all the above, but I would say the the more agency you have and what you do, the more relevant it probably is. If somebody's telling you to run into that wall for the tenth time, you know, there's only so much you can do. Although I will say where we're losing a lot of people out out of the profession right now is just people quitting their managers like anybody does, right? and so if if my content can give more perspective and and highlight the really, the really great firm runners out there and how in the right situation, this can be a really fun thing to do. Then hopefully it finds some of those people. We'll
0: we'll bring you back for another episode and talk about the talent situation and really where the profession is at in terms of having a brand. But just for now, we're going to deep dive into accountants as a breed and how easy they are to communicate with and who's got their ear. Who influences accountants? Who speaks to them? Who they listen to? What kind of shape do you feel? What like you call it an industry over there, predominantly? We call it a profession here. But our accountancy podcast here is global. What kind of shape do you feel the profession is in right now?
1: I can speak to the U.S. market. That's what I'm most familiar with. It's um, it was it was pretty challenging before COVID, and uh, it's doubly so post COVID. Um, that the kind of COVID regulations and how we got thrust into the middle of a lot of that was kind of the last, the last draw for a lot of folks. Um, so it's it's kind of a double edged sword. It's it's probably the hardest time there has been to to build a team and retain a team. Uh, but it's also a, just a time of of massive opportunity if if we don't get in our own ways and, and try to be everything for everybody at kind of our own expense.
0: What did COVID expose in the horror accounting firms, in your opinion, Jason? Uh, it, it exposed the fact that a lot of people were already kind of
1: right on the ragged edge, I think, and that put them over the top. So in the US, the the COVID relief was so burdensome to take advantage of that it required professional help. Uh, the people with the best professional help were the ones, unfortunately, that, that reaped the most benefit from covid relief and just like any type of business if a shoe drops and all of a sudden all of your customers need you at the drop of a hat you know i mean you're not you're not you never build your business planning for that right so it was just a big punch in the gut at at a time when everybody was already feeling pretty strung out from the amount of regulatory change and the the pressure that had already put on accountants
0: you get a sense like we certainly do over here jason that accountants are we speak a lot about the mental side of it but overburdened, overwhelmed, burnt out, struggling to cope with the demands placed on them, not just by the job, but by increasingly demanding clients that are seeing them not just as trusted advisors, but Uh, psychotherapists and counselors and psychiatrists and shoulders to cry on and trusted advisors and everything else that's a lot to put on yeah it's it's a product of trust
1: i think like it's, it's such an interesting um relationship we have with our clients because uh virtually no one in those in those entrepreneurs lives oftentimes even their partners have that level of transparency into everything that they do so it's a it's a really unique relationship it's so easy to do more um and it's so hard to say no and it's and oftentimes those are it takes more emotional intelligence than you know myself and a lot of us possess when you have those really uh meaningful like personal connections and then how you put boundaries around that in a way that's going to ensure that you do what's best for your business that's really challenging and most accountants didn't choose accounting to get into that sort of thing right if anything it's the opposite
0: you're talking about tough emotional conversations with complex human beings where there are no yes no black and white answers anymore that accountants grew into it becomes a lot more complex in what accountants are asked to deal with so yeah that puts a heck of a of a strain on them and the relationship they have and what they're expected to come out with what kind of position do you feel the profession is in to deal with not just what's gone on but what's coming up over the next few years it's hard to generalize
1: because there's just such a huge spectrum of different types of accountants there's you've got folks that are are really forward looking that are you know, excited about AI, I can't come fast enough, you know, it's, 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 it's coming just in time at, a, you know, the time when we most need it, versus the folks on the other side of the spectrum who uh, are maybe still getting up to speed with with how to make the most of the tools at their disposal and all of that. So it's, it's a massive spectrum, I will say, the rate of change, I think, makes that spectrum even bigger, because in the same way that now you can have team members who are wizards with software and, and, you know, can leverage software to have 2x the output of another staff person, the, the same will go for accountants and accounting firms. So I do think that that spectrum of, of high performing versus low performing uh, is just going to get bigger. Um, and you know, part of part of really my mission is, I have some software background, is trying to trying to make this stuff not scary and feel accessible, and uh, and turn it on its head so that the narrative is is this is an asset for us uh, and not something that we need to be scared about. Strap
0: on your notion that accountants find it hard to say no to things. We started this conversation offline on a piece you wrote on LinkedIn about how everybody wants a piece of accountants, and indeed we run our accounting influencers community for vendors coaches, consultants, trainers that sell to and through accountants, that's how they make their living. There's big software vendors, there's a whole range of experts out there that speak into the accounting world. And because they've got such a valuable position as a trusted advisor, they are the fulcrum of businesses these days, and everyone wants access to accountants and through them to their client base. So it's, there's a lot of calls on their time. But they must be good at saying no, to some respect, otherwise, they'd be so easy to sell to.
1: Yeah, they have to. I mean, the the what makes saying hard to clients saying no to clients so hard is that that kind of emotional connection that we have. Like it's almost like saying no to a family member.
0: So they say yes to the clients, but no to the vendors.
1: Yes. So when you, when you don't have that, I do think it's a little easier, and it's what makes it's it's one of the most challenging aspects of selling through accountants. Is if if is if they're representing your product, it's genuinely their reputation that's on the line if they're if they're putting that in front of the client. But I also don't know the alternative. Like in an age of saturation, like if you think there's too many software options out there today, get ready for it to get 10 times worse. Like in an age where you can't tell one landing page from another, (laughs) you buy based on social proof. You buy based on trust. And like, you're just going to go to that person you trust and say, just tell me what one to do. And that's how people are going to make buying decisions. You
0: put in your piece on LinkedIn and we'll put a link to it in our show notes. You said accountants are hard to sell to. They're a fickle bunch. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, especially in the US, you've got, You've got massive seasonality for most accountants. And so if you if you really push the issue on outreach at the wrong time of the year, you know, cold calling somebody on a deadline or something like that, it just shines the light on the fact that you don't really know who you're talking to. They also so it's a number of things. It's that, it's it's the fact that some companies do it really, really well and they know the vernacular and they know how to speak accountants. And so it it can be clear when you don't quite know that vernacular the immediate thought is that okay then then you probably don't fundamentally understand my problems as much as maybe some others do but yeah it's it's just the ability to to speak accountant and and, and accountants also have a little bit of of that um, they
0: know they know how important they are <laughs> uh, and and there's a little bit of that going on too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Full disclosure, I'm not an accountant. I'm a former high school math teacher. I'm a part-qualified accountant. So I understand their world to an extent. But yeah, there is that expert status. They've studied hard for the qualifications. Uh, you all have, you've earned the right to have letters after your name. So there's some kudos in that. But isn't it funny how they... They struggle to say no to demands from clients at the most inopportune times, but they're a little bit stronger when it comes to those external sales approaches.
1: Yeah, the clients are the ones that they've built the emotional bonds with. That's a much more personal thing. And that's really the hardest, like you said, the hardest aspect of doing what we do is you carry the stresses of those clients because you want to help them. And then when they ask for something that's out of bounds, oh, it's it's really hard to say no. Honestly, we get we get so much cold outreach from software companies these days that you don't know one from the other. And if anything, it's making us more callous to that Uh, because it just, you just, they're faceless, you know, faceless, usually messages that were not sent by a human, like it's just feels impersonal. And it's, that has gotten easier and easier, I think, to be dismissive of.
0: When you look at the ecosystem, stakeholders, however you want to call it, serving the accounting profession, yeah, we could put the vendors in the box and we could split that box up into banks and funding and and software and practice management and everything else, but you've got a whole other side of the ecosystem, gurus, coaches, mentors, consultants, trainers that are there to help the accountant navigate a lot of the stuff that they're going through. So when you say it's hard selling to accountants, are you including those as well? Or are you just beating up the vendors? And and quite rightly.
1: You mean, is it hard selling to gurus too, getting those people plugged in like the influencer types?
0: Well, I'm just thinking how coachable are accountants and how open are they to a coach approaching them to say, let me help you build your mental resilience and, and navigate the murky waters you're going through and help me to help you say no to some of your clients so you can prioritize some of the stuff you're doing. Sometimes you need some external help on that.
1: Yeah, no, you do. You get you get tunnel vision for the kind of the group thing that happens in your practice when you don't have that external perspective. But I will say it's it probably boils down to motivating anyone to do anything these days which means what are they going to stop doing um and I, I accountants i think we struggle with trying to help everything everyone we can you know within within the span of a day and you are kind of inevitably put on the back burner so it's it's a it's an issue of putting your client's needs before your own. When the best thing for the client is for you to invest in yourself and get all that stuff ironed out, right? So it's it's there there is definitely a trend of of influencer types, uh, you know, going out on TikTok and running Facebook ads and all these things with you know promising the moon. And accountants will be the first ones to be skeptical of that sort of thing. So there there may be a bit of a trend there that could sour the kind of value of of that coaching. But like with anything else, same thing with software, like the the the, the door in is, is that referral, is that social proof of this other person that had the good experience. Just like a software vendor, if you're a coach cold emailing people, like I don't know that that realistically works. Yeah, that's
0: a fair point. There's some anecdotal research here in the UK. I can't think it's any different where you are. That only really 10% of accounting firms are progressive, innovative enough, growing enough, open to new ways of doing things. They're quite mature in the digital transformation curve. They're quite advanced in their employer brand, which leaves 90% that are not the early adopters, if you like. And you could speak about that for firms, but also for individual accountants. Within a firm, you'll recognize that there's some that really want to push on that will fund a coach from their own wallet and not wait for the firm to do that. So there's there's a vast distribution curve, isn't there, in both firms and individuals?
1: There is. You've got people across that entire spectrum. I think one thing that has worked against the growth of the type of accountants that crave stability and and maybe you're not, don't have that growth mindset is we don't, firms generally don't incentivize staff on output. They they incentivize them based on hours worked. So um, when you have someone that's paid a salary, regardless of their output, they're not going to optimize. Most people, I will say this, most people, you cannot expect to optimize their day for output. They're likely going to optimize for comfort. So, if there is a better way to do that thing, unless you're incentivizing them on the volume of their output, they may not be interested in the more efficient way to do that thing because it's going to be more uncomfortable because it's different than the way they did the last four years. Right. So, I do think we can, in some ways, stunt the growth of those folks who are a little more hesitant to change and uh, the way that we staff and, and incentivize teams.
0: Let's spend a bash for a moment because they're not here. The, the vendor agenda, we sometimes call it, uh, you put in your piece that are, on the product side, accountants are overrun with options and it's only getting worse. Accountants are overwhelmed by the number of products that seemingly achieve the same outcome. To what degree are vendors responsible for articulating better the value that they offer and, and differentiating in some way that the accountant can perceive any kind of difference?
1: Well, I think it used to be enough that you stood up a landing page that com- explained this compelling thing they did, and that was enough. And these days, I mean, you could, you could spin up an offshore software company in a matter of weeks that has cloned what they've built their landing page everything so that's kind of been commoditized and so you got to find you know the 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 third door in as it is you got to find a way to either build community around your product so that is um either either community actually as the thing that your company is really good at you may sell software but if you can build a compelling community around that that's a that's a fantastic mode um you got to find like what that, what that other way in is, uh, because simply standing up that landing page, um, you know, if somebody, if somebody releases, a a, a an incredible AI feature tomorrow, you know, this one of a kind, um, that's generally not defensible unless that company has access to some sort of context that all the other companies don't have access to.
0: I'm going to quote you again directly because you put it beautifully in your piece, Jason. You said uh, there may have been a time when a compelling feature would cut through the no- noise, but these days our harm moments are few and far between, all but few product car- categories. And I'll overrun that with options. And then you say, absent a lightning in a bottle standout feature, our engineering achievement, vendors have been reduced to a line on a feature comparison grid. And the race to the bottom on the feature table is where they lose accountants.
1: So, and it's, and, and influencers already know this, but the, the whole point of that post was stop getting so hung up on how your marketing ties back to your product and just provide value. Like at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. I have things that I sell, but like you don't, you got, you got to look hard to find that stuff. What I do fundamentally is I help people. And if you're so caught up as a product company and you're marketing on, ensuring that this new feature and this and that and, and everything has a, a really direct tie back to your product, you're missing, you're missing the point. Cause at the end of the day, it's just about helping people to cut through all of that noise and build that like that
0: first little bit of trust
1: that puts you ahead of all the other options.
0: And you mentioned trust a few times. You say in your piece that accountants are professional skeptics and, and they're an untrusting bunch and, and we can see why that is. I, I want to ask you who has the ear of accountants, who they do listen to. Because to, to give a little bit of context, back in the day it would have been the professional institutes and associations and governing bodies, regulatory bodies. Then we had maybe the guru there. Then we had uh, communities. We also had vendors that started to control the narrative. Who, in your view, do accountants listen to most?
1: A uh, very few. And it's, it's the reason that I do what I do, because obviously products are inherently biased. You know The reason I started my accountant community was because I couldn't find one that wasn't bankrolled by a product. <laughs> yeah. uh, all I wanted was an independent place to go have those private conversations with other practitioners. Uh, in the US, we have issues with our you know, professional bodies having memberships and having arms of the business that are basically are affiliate software sales. You've got most influencers only being able to make a living by doing partnerships with brands. So if you go out and do a partnership with Intuit and they give you this prompt every month of here's here's what we want you to talk about this month. Well, everybody knows that's not an independent take. And I, and I think as soon as you do that partnership, it kind of calls into question Your voice on everything else. And so that's something I've been extremely careful about. As I don't, I do sponsorships that are really plainly obvious. There's like sponsor music blaring. Like I want you to know what it is so that there is no question about whether I can truly give my opinion. But the point you hit on, uh, the answer is not many places, but that's what makes it a great opportunity. That's how I've been able to build trust in my audience. So if you can. If you can find a way to build a business that enables you to still be that independent voice and not rely on the marketing budget of of your vendors and stuff like that, it absolutely pays dividends because accountants, the skeptical bunch, they will reward that.
0: Yeah, we've got commercial sponsors for our show. What we do is distance our content so that it's not shapeable by the vendors that sponsor our show and they're not attached to it. So uh, we don't have to push their message, if you like. But yeah, it's it's a fine line to walk because we know the vendors have big lists of accountants. We could call them communities, but they certainly have big databases, big reach, big brands. A lot of them have big pockets. If you can market at the Super Bowl, at the halftime ad, which uh, accounting vendors can do, then you've got a lot of marketing spend, if you like. What do you see is going to happen in the future? You're alluding your piece about the power of a, a referral and the... Decisions based on trust often come through peers, and you ask around, and you say, who's using this? What's it been like for you? And you get a sense of who's really doing what and what's working.
1: So online communities, I think, are the ultimate enabler of that. And and the most kind of widespread versions of that are are things like Twitter and LinkedIn. But then you get, you know, sort of micro communities around more specific types of firms. But Very practical example. Five years ago, we transitioned our entire firm to a different practice management system. It was about a 12-month project. Trained 40 people on this entirely different system. Uh, And about three months into it, realized it wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, And we'd invest I mean, hundreds of thousands of effort had gone into this and genuinely years of lost time because we made the decision based on a feature comparison chart and what the salespeople told us, (laughs) which is still how the vast majority of people make decisions, right? Yeah. So contrast that to the practice management system transition we did 18 months ago. I talked with 15 plus firm owners around my size who were using the tools that we were considering using. I got to see their live setups because I built relationships with these people. I worked with the sales folks on the product side. I understood their perspective. But then I also talked to people who actually used the product and who would tell me what it did and what it didn't. And the result was when we came into it and made the decision, there were no surprises. We knew what was going to work well and what wasn't going to work well. And that was fine. But we had such greater transparency in how we made that decision. And it was enabled by peers. It wasn't enabled by a better sales process or anything else. It was enabled by the fact that I had built a bunch of meaningful relationships. And that was, I mean, it shaved. If if I hadn't done that the last time, and that probably was two years of wasted time. Man, just think if we could get those two years back where we would be now. So that's that's the power of community to me is, is there's just so many ways that it, it shaves years off of your decision-making and growth. I like
0: that. It makes such a lot of sense. Trust is at an all-time low. Trust in the government, trust in the judicial system, trust in the education system. And I'm talking all around the world, in the UK, the US particularly. Trust in the armed forces, trust in the... Uh, the policymakers. I saw a great TikTok, Jason, just today that said NBA or NFL. And then it listed the numbers of people that had been arrested for drunk driving, that had gone through divorce, that had gone through bankruptcy, that had been arrested for spousal abuse. And the question was, are these NBA players or are these NFL players? And have you seen this? No, I haven't. The twist in the tale, not to ruin it for our viewers, is that it's neither. They're all members of Congress. (laughs) (laughs) the guy fooled everyone but the stats are powerful and trust is uh yeah trust comes from community and from people like you that's where we go to now isn't it for the ultimate
1: source of truth that's where i go i mean it's totally transformed the way i think about firm running and it's what's inspired me to make content was fundamentally i steal ideas like that's and that's what we all should be doing is we're all doing the same things in these very siloed ways there's I, zero competition and the stuff that we do there's a hundred times more people to help than we will ever be able to help so for everybody's benefit for goodness sakes share your playbook uh, and everybody's going to get a little better along the way
0: yeah that's a great message i'm going to ask you one more question to finish jason just after uh, you just signpost us to some of the great stuff that you do i'm on your newsletter list and i enjoy the stuff that you put out if people want to reach out to you and have a conversation how would you prefer they do that pretty easy
1: to find on twitter and linkedin just search my name like you said i've got a newsletter newsletter newsletter.jason.cpa um but i just love chatting with people just at me public message me and uh and we'll all get a little better in the process
0: you do chat you chat a lot on a variety of platforms goodness knows how you find the time to actually be an accountant
1: well i i mean the the whole the whole practice management system is a great example is every time I put out something that I shared, it's it's an asymmetric bet. And when 50 people hop on and share their experience, their their lived experience, I'm enriched more than anybody else. So like it's it's that kind of long term bet of I'm gonna get better just by sharing what I do and engaging in those conversations. And I think that's really a, a cool kind of opportunity to to grow.
0: Amen to that. Final question, Jason. What excites you most about the accounting profession? industry over the next few years ai it's got to be
1: ai and i know and i know everybody's on the fence and, and there's a lot of examples of not helpful ai and all of that but it's it's going to this is where i sound like tinfoil hat guy but it, it is going to fundamentally change how we how we work give us a glimpse of how it will do that oh man so many so many examples the ability to consume context now is completely different so for example um how many how many times a day do you hop on a meeting or have a phone call with a client where, you know, imagine simply all of that context now living inside your practice management system, where from a single search box, you could search your organizational email history, the transcripts of your meetings, the documents that are all stored in that system using vector search, not text matching search, search that identifies similar things to what you're saying. So you don't have to get the text just right. The ability to aggregate and then make accessible that information now is so incredibly powerful. Uh, And then when you have all that information, stuff like responding to an email, like, hey, could you send me a copy of this tax return from a couple of few years ago? Auto-suggest, here's your response. Here's the document it looks like they're asking for because it it has all that information. Like it, it just, it fundamentally changes how we interact with clients, the stuff that we're required to do versus the stuff that can be handled on an automated basis. Um, it's it's really exciting. Jason, it's been a joy
0: to sit with you today and, and cheer a few things around the accounting profession. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast.
1: Sponsored by Advanced Track. Helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring.